It's about finding gratitude in every situation. It's that paradox, feeling the grief and the pain and the loss, and also finding the gratitude. My beloved hero, Cheryl Strayed, said that being brave enough to break your own heart is about being brave enough to make the decisions that end up being really right for you, and also brave enough to sometimes make a decision that wasn't the best one in the end, but you learn from it. Hard times will come, but you know what else will always come? A sunrise and a sunset. So it's up to you. Do you want to be there for it? I think it's about perspective and gratitude, and those two things are key to a happy life. Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. Welcome. Since the Thanksgiving holiday is right around the corner in the U.S., I thought I would mix things up and do an emotion totally out of order from Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart, which has been serving as our roadmap for this podcast. And I can bet you can guess which emotion it is. Gratitude. This episode is full, literally full of different ways you can bring more gratitude into your life. And if you're like me, you're going to be completely surprised about the best way to actually have a gratitude practice. So stay tuned. And this wouldn't be a proper Thanksgiving episode if I didn't share with you a Thanksgiving tale, a story of mine from a very unforgettable 2017 Thanksgiving adventure. So my husband and I We're headed to Maine, which is our favorite, favorite place to go and experience Thanksgiving. My sister had a farmhouse. Last year was our last Thanksgiving we had there as she sold it. And so she had this beautiful old farmhouse and it was rustic. And sometimes there would be 20 of us staying in this farmhouse. And we would sleep in these like loft style beds, like a a room that was just totally open where everyone had their own bed. It was kind of like dorm style, right? One bathroom and an outhouse, but I never use the outhouse. (laughs) One bathroom for all of us. So it was an adventure to say the least. And very often my husband would have to be working the day before Thanksgiving. So we would drive after he would get out of work, which meant we were driving in the evening. And upstate New York, into Vermont, into New Hampshire, and then ultimately into Maine, where the house was, can be a little challenging at the end of November. So of course, this entire trip was presenting itself that way. It was snowing, it was sleeting, there was ice and rain. The whole trip took longer than normal. So we found ourselves getting on each other's nerves, you know, just wanting to be there. So when my phone gave me a little ding, a little alert that said, do you want to save 12 minutes on our very long trip? I said, yes, please sign me up for the shortcut. I will take it. So we start following this new shortcut 
And we get to this road that is called Evans Notch. And I had a little bit of an intuitive hit. I had a little bit of a knowing that this was a road that I had heard about, but I just, I couldn't place it. And I was thinking to myself that if this road was needed to be closed, it would have been closed. So I was kind of overriding some of the warning bells that were starting to go off for me. So we set up this Evans Notch and it becomes this like one lane road climbing up a mountain. And the only thing preventing us from falling over the cliff, the edge of the mountain, was this thin like cable, just one wire, one cable wire. And as we get climbing, the weather gets worse and it is completely black ice. And you know how when you're driving and you start to get nervous, you can't even listen to the radio? Well, at least that's the truth for me. So I had to turn off the radio. I was not driving. Ian was driving. But I was getting panicked because I, of course, took the shortcut, put us on this road. And his go-to emotion, when we talk about emotions, his first emotion is anger. And once we get to the anger the emotions of anger, you'll understand that anger is never just about the anger. It's always about other things. So his go-to for everything starts out presenting itself as anger. So he started to get really angry and frustrated. And I am starting to get really nervous. I'm feeling my anxiety. I'm feeling my fear starting to creep up. And we are just climbing more and more up this mountain and things are getting dicier and dicier. It is just complete black ice. I've never been so scared to be in a car as I was this evening. And at one point, I kind of whisper because I, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little scared of my husband at this point. And so I whisper to him, like, do you think we should turn around? To which he was like, yeah, okay, we'll turn around, right? Where on earth are we going to turn around? There's one lane. There was nowhere to turn around. So I, who knows why I even said this, but at this point, I was just trying to come up with anything. So as we continue to climb, there starts to be giant tree limbs, like massive parts of trees just in the middle of the road now. And it's because of the ice. The ice was so heavy that it was like knocking tree limbs down. So now we have the car parked, but it's black ice, which if anywhere from growing up where I grew up, I know that your car can move on black ice even when your brakes are on. So I had that in the back of my mind. So now he's getting out in front of our car on black ice himself, barely able to move. He's like skating around trying to move these tree limbs. I am panicking that the car is just going to start driving and drive into him. Like all of these things are going through my mind. So the fear is just completely taking over. He gets back in the car. And at this point, I do the only thing I can do, which is ultimately to surrender. So I begin praying, praying to myself, and I can no longer focus on getting up the mountain because now we have to go down the entire mountain as well. I just start counting the miles, like counting the little fragments of the miles because I couldn't look at the whole picture anymore. It was too big. It was too overwhelming. So I'm praying. I am just focusing on the next, you know, tenth of a mile. And I 
can't focus on my fear because it's it's just taking over. I can't focus on the possibility of going off the cliff. I can't even allow the space to go into that. It was just too much. So this was becoming just a major, a major test. I couldn't focus on how scared we were. All I could do was just surrender, pray and surrender. And so eventually we made it back down and to save 12 minutes, I ended up with a migraine from all of the stress, of course, and we added at least an extra hour onto our trip. So I think we arrived at my sister's around, you know, one o'clock in the morning. And I have never been so grateful. So if you want to talk about gratitude, the moments when you are close to what you perceive your death, you're where you're close to your fear or when you're really sick. These are the moments when your gratitude can become really, really big. So the next morning we woke up and it was Thanksgiving and we just had a grateful heart and we were both able to move past that moment. Once we got the emotions, the fear and the anxiety out of our bodies, we were able to to move past it and have a beautiful, beautiful Thanksgiving. So I would love to start with the Atlas of the Heart definition of gratitude. Gratitude is an emotion that reflects our deep appreciation for what we value, what brings meaning to our lives, and what makes us feel connected to ourselves and others. The emotions that are good for us, like joy, contentment, gratitude, they all have appreciation in common. And gratitude is good for us physically, emotionally, mentally. It's correlated with better sleep, increased creativity, decreased entitlement, decreased hostility and aggression, increased decision-making skills, decreased blood pressure. So basically, gratitude is only good for us. There's no bad side of it. It is just really good for us. Robert Emmons, he's the world's leading scientific expert on gratitude, and Brene Brown highlights him in Atlas of the Heart. He says, research on emotion shows that positive emotions wear off quickly. Our emotional systems like newness. They like novelty. They like change. We adapt to positive life circumstances so that before too long, the new car, the new spouse, the new house... They don't feel so new and exciting anymore, but gratitude makes us appreciate the value of something. And when we can appreciate the value of something, we extract more benefits from it. We are less likely to take it for granted. He goes on to say, in effect, I think gratitude allows us to participate more in life. We notice the positives more, and that magnifies the pleasures you get from life. Instead of adapting to goodness, we celebrate goodness. We spend so much time watching things, movies, computer screens, sports, but with gratitude, we become a greater participant in our lives as opposed to spectators. So what this means to me is gratitude makes us love our life more. It makes us be able to grasp more joy in the experiences. It's all about presence. It's about really being present and being able to take anything that we're experiencing and just be able to value it at a totally new level. Brene shares that adapting to goodness without feeling gratitude is a function of scarcity. 
we either want things for the wrong reasons and then we feel disappointed when we acquire them or we just can't accumulate enough to feel whole. So we accumulate and adapt, never valuing or appreciating. This is that concept of just always wanting more, more, more. Gratitude can help us with that. There's this really cool relationship between joy and gratitude. Research describes it as an intriguing upward spiral. So we all know the downward spirals. (laughs) Well, this is actually an upward spiral. And if you remember from past episodes, the difference between a state or trait is you can be in a state of gratitude. It's temporary. It's fleeting. It's a moment. Or you can be a grateful type of person, and that's more of a trait. It goes like this. Trait gratitude can predict greater future experiences of in-the-moment joy. And trait joy predicts greater future experiences of in-the-moment gratitude. And dispositional or situational joy predicts greater future subjective well-being. It all spirals up. So the more joy you have, the more gratitude you have. The more gratitude you have, the more joy you have. They can work together, making that upward spiral. Gratitude is an emotion, but in order to feel its full power, we have to make it into a practice. And here are a few different ways you can put gratitude into a practice. So probably the most common one would be a gratitude journal where you jot down, you know, three things, five things, 10 things you're grateful for, and and you try and do this every day. Well, for me, after my beloved dog Hunter passed away, I was really, really struggling to find the joy in each day. I was just reminded of his presence, his lack of presence being throughout the house, and I was struggling. And so I grabbed this little journal, a little journal I could bring with me, and every single day I would write down three things I was grateful for. And I would bring this journal with me everywhere I went. And so when I saw other people, I remember one time being in in the car with my sister and my husband, and I asked each of them, what are three things you're grateful for? And I jotted those notes down. And so on the days I was really struggling, I was able to flip open this book and just find things to be grateful for. It was a really beautiful practice that helped me through a really challenging time. Another practice would be daily gratitude meditation or prayer. So there's one style of meditation called meta, or also known as the loving kindness meditation. And this is a meditation where you actually focus on someone you are grateful for. So you think about somebody you're grateful for. While you're in that meditative state, you wish them well. You can say this either out loud or you can just say it to yourself. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May your mind be at ease. And through this practice, you're creating that connection through gratitude for another person. It's a really beautiful type of meditation. I've heard of texting gratitude. So um, I've heard of people creating, you know, a group of friends and you just set up a group on your text message or WhatsApp, something like that. And you just text every day, you text something you're grateful for. So all day long, people are just receiving each other's gratitudes and that reminder for when you're in the challenging moments that there are things to be grateful for each day. You can use art, creating gratitude through art. So artist Lori Portka 
created a hundred pieces of gratitude art. So she made a hundred pieces of art for other people, all about her gratitude. It took her two years to complete this project. They are gorgeous. Oprah even highlighted her on one of her Super Soul Sundays at the end of the episode. She created them for her hairdresser, her car mechanic, her husband, and so on. Combining art and gratitude can be super, super powerful. You can start a gratitude practice at work, create a check-in and an opportunity to share gratitude for one another. You can do this at the dinner table. Every night, go around the dinner table and each of you say one thing you're grateful for. All of these practices are great and provide us value, actually a lot of value, but something that really, really surprised me while doing this research was the work of Andrew Huberman. He's an American neuroscientist and professor in the Department of Neurobiology at Stanford, and he's made contributions to brain development, brain plasticity, and neural regeneration and repair fields. He's the host of the Huberman podcast, which is an amazing podcast. Highly recommend checking it out. He says it's not quite as simple as writing out three things you're grateful for. While there are benefits from doing that type of gratitude practice, they aren't particularly effective in shifting your neural circuitry, your neural chemistry, or your somatic circuitry. The kind of practice he shares has been shown to benefit our relationships but not just the relationship in which you express gratitude. So if you're doing, you know, thinking of that person, you're expressing gratitude towards them, it will enhance that relationship with that person, but it will also enhance one's social relationships across the board, which means, you know, all of a sudden your family, friends, work, even the relationship you have with yourself will benefit from being grateful towards another. It's a very potent way in which you can steer your mental and physical health. And what was really interesting, his work shows that a regular gratitude practice can provide resilience to trauma in two different ways. It can provide a reframing and resilience to prior traumatic experiences. So buffering people against the negative uh, physiological effects and psychological effects of earlier trauma, past trauma. And it can also inoculate them into to any traumas that might arrive later in life. This happens by shifting the fear and defense networks in the brain. So basically, we can all agree that gratitude is one of the most effective tools we have our, for our physical, our emotional body, our mental, spiritual bodies. And you don't have to do it every day. You don't even have to do it more than three minutes to receive these lasting benefits. So what is this most potent style of gratitude practice that Andrew Huberman talks about? Well, the most potent form of gratitude is not a gratitude practice where you give gratitude or you express gratitude for another or something, but rather where you receive gratitude, where you receive thanks. There was a study that had coworkers write letters of gratitude to one another unbeknownst to each other. And then they tracked brain activity as the letter was being heard and received. Receiving gratitude is much more potent in terms of the positive shifts that are created rather than giving gratitude. So 
if you're someone who writes letters of gratitude to other people or you say to them out loud or send them a text why you're so grateful for them, you have the power to shift somebody else's neurology. This is a super powerful gift to give. So if this is a part of your life, keep doing it. It matters even more than you thought. But for the rest of us, we can't just sit around waiting for these letters of gratitude to appear in our mailboxes. So we need to cultivate our own practice. And that brings us to the power of stories. Andrew went on to share a study of high-resolution brain imaging where the subjects were shown stories of survival, but these stories weren't about themselves. And it also included the gratitude that those people experienced in that survival. These were stories of other people receiving things that were powerful for them in their life, and it's embedded in their story. And the human brain loves stories. While we are watching these powerful stories, we start to feel some sort of affiliation for the person telling the story. It could be empathy, but it doesn't always have to be empathy. So if receiving gratitude is the most powerful way to experience gratitude, while watching these movies, you are experiencing a sense of gratitude through the narrative of these subjects. One has to powerfully associate with the idea of receiving help. The subjects are experiencing empathy for somebody else who received help. There has to be a real experience of somebody else's experience. (laughs) The best way to do that is through story. Finding someone's narrative that's powerful for you, a story that inspires you, the ability of humans helping other humans. When we observe someone else getting or giving help, we can actually exchange that for a lift in ourselves. The good news is that we don't have to search for new stories every day. The most potent tool is going to be able to repeat the same story over and over again for ourselves. The story you select does not have to have any semblance to your own life. It can be a story about something that is totally unknown to you. It's just about what happens to move you. So it makes you feel something. So let's get really practical. How do we do this? What does this look like? Well, the first step is to find a story that is particularly meaningful for you. This can be either a story of your own where you are genuinely wholeheartedly being thanked for something and it makes you feel good, or it can be somebody else's story about someone else genuinely expressing or receiving thanks. So that's step one. Step two, you only have to do this step the first time you do this practice So just know that this practice is much shorter than this. So step two is connect with that full story. Create a bullet point list of the key elements of that story. An example of like what you could write down is what was the struggle? What was the state either you or the subject were in before receiving gratitude? What was the help that they received? What was the state you or the subject were in after receiving the gratitude and something about how that actually impacted you emotionally. So this is, you do this only one time, that first time you just write out the story, make a bullet point list. The list is going to serve as shorthand for getting into this mode of gratitude for your future practices. And step three, refer to your list and think into the richness of that gratitude. And you can do this for one to five minutes. It's that simple. So really, once you get going, it's only two steps. It is just finding the story that's meaningful to you, reading your bullet point list, and just feeling into that energy. 
Some tips are try and do this three times a week. You can do it for as little as one minute, as many as five. There's not a huge difference in benefits between length of time. So this can be a really short practice. Timing of day doesn't matter. Some people find the morning or right before bed is the easiest time to connect, but whatever works for you. The more you do it, the easier the neural circuits become activated with each repetition of this. The stories become a shortcut and the activation becomes almost instantaneous. And you can just use the same story over and over again. And the last thing I'll say about having a gratitude practice is that it can actually benefit our emotions. A regular gratitude practice can shift the functional conductivity of emotion pathways in ways that make anxiety and fear circuits less likely to be active and circuits of feelings of well-being and also motivation to be much more active. So basically, it's a two for one. A good practice can not only reduce anxiety and fear, but it also increases positive emotions. Let's look at the spirituality of gratitude. There's a lot of connections between spirituality and gratitude. This inspiration comes from a whole bunch of incredible guests that Oprah had on her show, Super Soul Sunday. Oprah's favorite quote that she opens it up with is from this German mystic, Meister Eckhart. And he said, if the only prayer you say in your entire life is thank you, that will be enough. Mark Nepo, who he has now quickly become a new favorite teacher of mine, actually thinks to this podcast, a few episodes back, Jamie Weisberg, she was the positive psychology coach. She introduced us all to his work. And I now start every day with his book, The Book of Awakening. It's a beautiful book and it highlights every single day. So there is a day for today, November 15th, November 23rd, there's a passage for that. And you just read whatever passage it is for that day. And it's a beautiful way to start your day. So Mark shared on Super Soul Sunday that paradoxes, and a paradox is that tension between seeming opposites. The paradoxes have been great teachers for for him. He said, we can't deny our humanness. Having an open heart means feeling it all. Thank God that my experiences have hollowed me out like a hollow bone, but I was never thankful while I was being hollowed out. When you experience difficult things, family, illness, trying to hold the larger view at the same time is where gratitude lives. He then shares that if you were at sea and you're in a raft and the swells of the sea are huge, when you're lifted to the top of the wave, you can see for eternity. And when you're in the belly of the wave, you can't see anything. The kind of gratitude we are talking about is not denying the fact that you're in the belly of the wave and that the white wave might crash on you, but to never lose sight of the horizon, even though in this moment you cannot see it. His description reminded me of a favorite poem of mine called The Trough by Judy Brown. There's a trough in waves, a low spot where horizon disappears and only sky and water our company. And there we lose our way. Unless we rest, knowing the wave will bring us to its crest again. There we may drown if we let fear hold us in its grip and shake us side to side and leave us flailing, torn, disoriented. 
But if we rest there in the trough, in silence, being in the low part of the wave, keeping our energy and noticing the shape of things, the flow, then time alone will bring us to another place where we can see horizon, see land again, regain our sense of where we are and where we need to swim. This poem, this is about gratitude. Oprah shared that gratitude is the single best way of changing your personal vibration, and I have to agree with her. Elizabeth Lesser shared the words amore fate, and it's Latin for the love of fate. She said, instead of bemoaning your fate, and sometimes our fates are terrible, but to love our fate is a way of being grateful. I'm going to love what happened to me because I trust it's here to remove a veil. I'm going to search for what's happening to me this time so I can take away another misconception. This is a really hard concept to wholeheartedly believe when you're in it. When we're in the muck, when we are in the mud, it's easy to perceive everything is happening to us. But if we step back and zoom out, can we allow the possibility for gratitude for all things, both good and bad? Can we choose to believe that everything is actually happening for us? This doesn't mean that we bypass our hard emotions, but it, is it possible to find gratitude in all things? This too is a practice, and sometimes I'm really good at it, and sometimes I need to be reminded of it. Luckily for me, I surround myself with a lot of people that can, and they do, remind me that everything is happening for me. Tracy Jackson shared that if you have gratitude, you don't have room for fear. Fear holds us back so much, and fear is what causes so much of our bad behavior and our poor choices. Gratitude can't live with fear in the same way that love can't really live with fear. So if you're grateful, you move to that place of love. Trust is God. Trust is soul. Trust is saying it will all work out. Paul Williams continues with this theme. He shares the idea of being truly grateful for all the things that have happened in your life, the good and the bad. He calls it an expandable gratitude. His example was if you're in a car accident, you can start out by being grateful that you're alive. But what if you were in a car accident with someone else and that person died? Someone you love died. This is where you have to expand your gratitude to hold the space of being grateful for your time with that loved one, for the love you shared. It's about finding gratitude in every situation. It's that paradox, feeling the grief and the pain and the loss and also finding the gratitude. My beloved hero, Cheryl Strayed, said that being brave enough to break your own heart is about being brave enough to make the decisions that end up being really right for you, and also brave enough to sometimes make a decision that wasn't the best one in the end, but you learn from it. Hard times will come, but you know what else will always come? A sunrise and a sunset. So it's up to you. Do you want to be there for it? I think it's about perspective and gratitude, and those two things are key to a happy life. And on a total side note, I think I'm ready to get my first tattoo and it's going to say brave enough, which of course was inspired by Cheryl. Gretchen Rubin, who is the author of a couple of my favorite books, The Four Tendencies and also The Happiness Project, said to Oprah, 
I think the sense of thankfulness is appreciating the grandeur of everyday life. The ordinary day and really taking the time to take it in is absolutely crucial. And when you have that kind of thankfulness, then so many other negative emotions get washed away, like resentment, anger, grievances, grudges, because you're just so thankful for what you have. Once again, she's reminding us about how perspective and gratitude go hand in hand. Sean Aker, who is the author of The Happiness Advantage and many other amazing books, shared a study about gratitude. He says, if you woke up every single morning and practiced saying three things you're grateful for, they have to be new things every day, but they can be simple. You're grateful for your breath. You're grateful for your bed, whatever it is. If you did this for 21 days, people who were testing as low-level pessimists on average tested as low-level optimists 21 days later. You can even do this with an 84-year-old man who has genes for pessimism. Even if you practice pessimism for eight decades of your life and you were born with genes for pessimism, you can actually change your energy. When people practice gratitude for two minutes a day, it can trump not only your genes, but also your environment. Another practice he shares is to think of one meaningful thing that has happened to you over the last 24 hours. It doesn't have to be huge. It can be a conversation, a sunset, somebody held open a door. And in two minutes, you just write down every detail you can remember. You're trying to get your brain to relive the experience. We can't tell much difference between visualization and an actual experience. So when we journal about the meaningful experience, we actually double it. Doing this for 21 days creates a connection between the meaning in our lives. We actually find meaning through the trajectory of our lives. These are building blocks of how humans can change. I think these two practices are important, and I want to summarize and say them again. So the first one is is a gratitude exercise. Write down three things you're grateful for that occurred in the last 24 hours. Don't have to be profound. It could just be a really good cup of coffee, the warmth of a sunny day. The other exercise, which he refers to as the doubler, is to take one positive experience from the past 24 hours and spend two minutes writing down every detail about that experience. As you remember it, your brain labels it as meaningful and deepens the imprint. I have a feeling this exercise ties into what Andrew Huberman was saying about the power of stories and gratitude. Lynn Twist, she wrote the book Soul of Money. She said to Oprah that to shift our perspective, we can think to ourselves, what bounty and blessings have I received from the universe that I want to acknowledge and celebrate? What do I want to celebrate about today? What happened today that I can celebrate and be grateful for rather than waking up in the morning and saying, I didn't get enough sleep and going to bed at night thinking I didn't get enough done, which is bookending our days with scarcity. What if we woke up in the morning and said, I'm so grateful for the sweet territory of silence and sleep. You can wake up that way. You can actually tell yourself to do that. Our mind is very obedient, even if it's just four hours of sleep. And be grateful for that. And at the end of the day, rather than looking at what didn't get done, that what's going to dribble over into tomorrow, which is where we mostly end up each day, look at what I accomplished today. What can I celebrate today? Every day is such a blessing. Brother David Steindl Rast is a Benedictine monk, and he is an icon of gratefulness. 
He says gratefulness is the experience of the great fullness of life. And when you are in the great fullness of life, the bowl of life is so full it's almost overflowing, but not quite, not yet dribbling over the edges. You are one with God, one with the universe, and there is no other when you stand in and live in the great fullness of life. And that great fullness is so powerful that it overflows into the fountain of the bowl of life. And that puts you in this other branch of gratitude, which he calls thanksgiving. And when you are in the branch of gratitude and thanksgiving, the bowl of life is overflowing and you are so grateful that there is another because all you want to do is give and share and serve and contribute. And that's so fulfilling. It puts you back in the great fullness of life. You can live in that cycle no matter what your financial circumstance is. People who stand in this context of enoughness, it overflows into a natural true abundance. And they are the people who are living a life that really matters. People around them feel valued. They feel seen. They feel heard. They feel loved. They feel treated with reverence and respect. And that's the source of our prosperity. That's really the source of it. The word wealth, the etymology of it is well-being. And each of us has that well-being inside of us. That's infinite. That is the source of our wealth. That is true wealth. Louis Schwartzberg, I highly, highly recommend watching his gratitude TED Talk that went viral. It's gorgeous. It's the stunning time-lapse photography of nature. It's a flower slowly opening up and blooming. His beautiful imagery is accompanied by powerful words from none other, Benedictine monk, brother David Steindl Rast. It serves as a meditation on being grateful for every day. Louis says, there is a hunger out there where people want to connect to something that is bigger than themselves. And I think through the portal of nature, it can open your heart and you can develop gratitude for the little things in life. It's easy to be grateful for a flower or a bug. Nature is God. It's life personified. And the way he captures it through time lapse and slow motion, he's able to unveil the mystery of nature. In the last expert on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday was Norman Lear. He said, if you had one image of God, it would be thank you, spelled out. While walking with Martin Marty's, a great theologian, he asked Marty, what is the shortest description of worship you can give me? And he said one word, gratitude. Worship is gratitude. Now that we have talked a lot about gratitude and a myriad of ways you can start practicing it and the spirituality of gratitude, I want to offer you a couple of things for your Thanksgiving dinner. A few years ago, author Seth Godin put out what he called the Thanksgiving Reader. You can download it for yourself at thethanksgivingreader.com. This reader is meant to be shared at your Thanksgiving Day dinner table. You print out the pages, it's about 17 pages long, and you go around the Thanksgiving table and each person reads a short section aloud. There are beautiful stories, poems, prayers, and blessings. It's truly a gift. It takes about 10 minutes and you sit down and do this together. I did it a few years back with my family and it was really a powerful experience, bringing reverence, introspection, and above all else, gratitude to your dinner table. Here's an example of one of the stories that you can find in it. 
There once was a man who was raising his young son. The mother had passed away in childbirth, and he was teaching his son all that he knew. The son grew up and in time wanted to go to a nearby village and find a companion. Many months passed, and the young man returned to his home, and with him he had a woman, his wife. They lived in the home of his father. Shortly after, they had a son, and the father, now a grandfather, began teaching this young boy all that he knew, how to respect the forests, the animals, and life. And the mother, tiring of sharing her home with the old man, told her husband she wanted the old man out. The father spoke, I cannot. This is his home and he built it for us. She spoke, if you do not make him leave, then I will take our son and I will leave. The father agreed and spoke to his son. My son, tomorrow, I want you to take grandpa out and leave him. Give him this blanket. And the young boy cried, why do you do this to him? Grandpa has been teaching me all that I know. Why do I have to do this to him? And the father spoke, son, follow the wishes of your father. So the next morning, the father went hunting to the north. The son took grandpa as far as he could to the south. That evening, the young boy was sitting on the bed crying. When his father came in, he saw the blanket on the bed. Son, I thought I told you to give grandpa the blanket. I gave grandpa half the blanket. The other half I will give to you someday. The mother and the father understood the message. And they went and they brought grandpa back. This is a traditional story. And here is a quote that is in the Thanksgiving Reader from Melody Beattie. Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos to order, confusion to clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger into a friend. It turns problems into gifts, failures into successes the unexpected into perfect timing, and mistakes into important events. It can turn an existence into a real life and disconnected situations into important and beneficial lessons. Gratitude makes sense of our past. It brings peace for today and creates a vision for tomorrow. I like to end every interview asking about favorite books. And by far, the book that has been talked about the most on this podcast is Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. So, of course, I had to go out and get it for myself, having not yet read it. I listen to the majority of my books on Audible, but I also like to start my mornings with a physical book, which is usually of the spiritual nature. And I had a feeling that this book was going to be more like that for me. So I opted to buy the physical book and it's beautiful. I'm not done with it yet, but I am falling deeply in love with it. And in the book, Robin talks about an allegiance to gratitude. She's talking about the Thanksgiving address, which is a river of words as old as the people themselves, known more accurately in the Onondaga language as the words that come before all else. This ancient order of protocol sets gratitude as the highest priority. The gratitude is directed straight to the ones who share their gifts with the world. The hodinoshini means people who build a house, and the name refers to a confederation or an alliance among six Native American nations who are more commonly known as the Iroquois Confederacy, each nation having its own identity 
These nations are Mohawk, Oneida, Onondaga, Cayuga, Seneca, Tuscarora. The Confederacy has also been known as the Six Nations, and this is the land I've grown up around. The Haudenosaunee people give thanks every day, not just once a year. The Thanksgiving address serves as a daily reminder to appreciate and acknowledge all things. It reinforces the connection that people have to the world around them. And according to Braiding Sweetgrass, it is said that the people were instructed to stand and offer these words every time they gathered, no matter how many people there were, how few people, and before anything else was done. Teachers in school would remind the students that every day to begin where our feet first touch the earth, we send greetings and thanks to all members of the natural world. This is a far different practice than we typically see in our schools of reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. The Thanksgiving address is far more than a prayer, a pledge, or a poem. It is at its heart an invocation of gratitude, but it's also a material, scientific inventory of the natural world. The Thanksgiving address reminds you that you already have everything you need. Robin goes on to share that cultures of gratitude must also be cultures of reciprocity, each person bound to every other in a reciprocal relationship. Just as all beings have a duty to me, I have a duty to them. If an animal gives its life to feed me, I am in turn bound to support its life. If I receive a stream gift of pure water, then I am responsible for returning a gift in kind. An integral part of a human's education is to know that those duties and how to perform them. The Thanksgiving address reminds us that duties and gifts are two sides of the same coin. Eagles were given the gift of farsight, so it is their duty to watch over us. Rain fulfills its duty as it falls because it was given as the gift of sustaining life. What is the duty of humans? If gifts and responsibilities are one, then asking what is our responsibility is the same as asking what is our gift. It is said that only humans have the capacity for gratitude. This is among our gifts. It's such a simple thing, but we all know the power of gratitude is to incite a cycle of reciprocity. These words, they're a gift of the Haudenosaunee to the world. They are supposed to be shared. The Thanksgiving address has been translated into over 40 languages and has been heard all around the world. Thanksgiving address, greetings to the natural world, the people. Today we have gathered and we see that the cycles of life continue. We have been given the duty to live in balance and harmony with each other and all living things. So now, We bring our minds together as one, and we give greetings and thanks to each other as people. Now our minds are one. The Earth Mother We are all thankful to our mother, the Earth, for she gives us all that we need for life. She supports our feet as we walk about upon her. It gives us joy that she continues to care for us as she has from the beginning of time. To our mother, we send greetings and thanks. Now. Our minds are one. The waters. We give thanks to all the waters of the world for quenching our thirst and providing us with strength. Water is life. We know its power in many forms. Waterfalls and rain, mists and stream, rivers and oceans. With one mind, we send greetings and thanks to the spirit of water. 
now our minds are one. The fish. We turn our minds to all the fish life in the water. They were instructed to cleanse and purify the water. They also give themselves to us as food. We are grateful that we can still find pure water. So we turn now to the fish and send our greetings and thanks. Now our minds are one. The plants. Now we turn the vast fields of plant life as far as the eye can see. The plants grow, working many wonders. They sustain many life forms. With our minds gathered together, we give them thanks and look forward to seeing plant life for many generations to come. Now our minds are one. The food plants. With one mind, we turn to honor and thank all the food plants we harvest from the garden. Since the beginning of time, the grains, vegetables, beans, and berries have helped people survive. Many other living things draw strength from them too. We gather all the plant foods together as one and send them a greeting of thanks. Now our minds are one. The medicine herbs. Now we turn to all the medicine herbs of the world. From the beginning, they were instructed to take away sickness. They were always waiting and ready to heal us. We're happy that there's still among us those special few who remember how to use these plants for healing. With one mind, we send greetings and thanks to the medicines and to the keepers of the medicines. Now our minds are one. The animals. We gather our minds together to send greetings and thanks to all animal life in the world. They have many things to teach us as people. We are honored by them, and when they give up their lives, so we may use their bodies as food for our people. We see them near our homes and in the deep forests. We are glad they are still here, and we hope that they will always be so. Now our minds are one. The trees. We now turn our thoughts to the trees. The earth has many families of trees who have their own instructions and uses. Some provide us with shelter and shade, others with fruit, beauty, and other useful things. Many people of the world use a tree as a symbol of peace and strength. With one mind, we greet and thank the tree of life. Now our minds are one. The birds. We put our minds together as one and thank all the birds who move and fly about over our heads. The Creator gave them beautiful songs. Each day they remind us to enjoy and appreciate life. The eagle was chosen to be their leader. To all the birds, from the smallest to the largest, we send our joyful greetings and thanks. Now our minds are one. The Four Winds We are thankful to the powers we know as the Four Winds. We hear the voices in the moving air as they refresh us and purify the air we breathe. They help us to bring the change of seasons from the four directions they come, bringing us messages and giving us strength. With one mind, we send our greetings and thanks to the four winds. Now our minds are one. The Thunderers. Now we turn to the west where our grandfathers, the thunder beings, live. With lightning and thundering voices, they bring with them water that renews life. We are thankful that they keep those evil things made by the Okawizers underground. We bring our minds together as one send greetings and thanks to our grandfathers, the Thunderers. Now our minds are one. The Sun We now send greetings and thanks to our eldest brother, the Sun. Each day without fail, he travels the sky from east to west, 
bringing the light of a new day. He's the source of all fires of life. With one mind, we send greetings and thanks to our brother, the sun. Now our minds are one. Grandmother Moon, we put our minds together and give thanks to our eldest grandmother, the moon, who lights up the nighttime sky. She is the leader of women all over the world, and she governs the movement of ocean tides. By her changing face, we measure time, and it is the moon who watches over the arrival of children here on earth. With one mind, we send greetings and thanks to our grandmother, the moon. Now our minds are one. The stars. We give thanks to the stars who are spread across the sky like jewelry. We see them in the night, helping the moon to light darkness and bringing dew to the gardens and growing things. When we travel at night, they guide us home. With our minds gathered together as one, we send greetings and thanks to the stars. Now our minds are one. In the enlightened teachers, we gather our minds to greet and thank the enlightened teachers who have come here to help throughout the ages. When we forget to live in harmony, they remind us of the way we were instructed to live as people. With one mind, we send greetings and thanks to these caring teachers. Now our minds are one. The Creator. Now we turn our thoughts to the Creator or the Great Spirit and send greetings and thanks for all the gifts of creation. Everything we need to live a good life is here on Mother Earth. For all the love that is still around us, we gather our minds together as one and send out our choicest words of greetings and thanks to the Creator. Now our minds are one. Closing words. We have now arrived at the place where we end our words. Of all the things we have named, it was not our intention to leave anything out. If something was forgotten, we leave it to each individual to send such a greeting and thanks in their own way. Now our minds are one. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're ready to dive deeper into your own emotional expedition, I invite you to join me in an intimate eight-week virtual book study of Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. And in case you're not quite ready to join the study, I wanted to share a free offering that I often suggest to people as a little bit of a compass to get them started on their emotional journey, the meditation to alleviate stress. You can find the meditation and the book study linked below. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts so you're sure to never miss a single episode. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.